0: Listening to By the Well, a based podcast for preachers, recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, everyone. I'm Fran Barber, and I'm Sharon Hollis. Welcome, Sharon. Sharon's been a guest on By the Well before, a co-host. Sharon is a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia and the president of the Uniting Church in Australia at the moment. So, thank you very much for coming back to join us on By the Well. Pleasure to be here, Fran. I'm looking forward to talking about the texts with you. Yeah, so this week we are here doing Advent 4 uh, and Sharon and I are going to focus particularly on Luke 1, 46b-55 and Luke one to 26-38. That was around the wrong way. The first reading in the Magnificat is um, in place of the psalm. And um, the gospel is Luke one twenty six to thirty eight, and we are likely to have a brief foray into the second Samuel re- reading, uh, which is two Samuel seven one to eleven and verse sixteen, um, and maybe into Romans. But we'll just see how we travel along and let you know if we get there. So, Sharon, let's start uh, chronologically in these readings, as in therefore with the gospel.
1: Yes, makes sense with these to do that. Yes,
0: rather than the Magnificat first, let's talk about um, the visitation of Gabriel to Mary. So this this week in Advent is one traditionally in recent times quite obviously devoted to Mary and um, I can't remember the order of peace, love and joy but I presume it's joy, is it? I don't know. If this was live we could ring in and get it confirmed. We could. Uh, But it's... um, And this year, Advent 4 is the day before Christmas Day. So excitement is mounting, isn't it?
1: It is. And a shout out to all the preachers who are turning Advent 4 in the morning and turning around for Christmas Eve in the afternoon and evening. Yes. Good on them.
0: Yes. And when I was preparing for this, I thought, I wonder how many people will preach and maybe maybe they'll have a carol service. (laughs) Anyway, we're here to resource you in case you are preaching. Indeed. So... um, The visitation of Gabriel to Mary. Now, I think we'll deal with this thematically rather than um, with lots of textual points, won't we, Sharon, Um, especially given recent scholarship from women in particular um, who've critiqued um, traditional interpretations of this. I think that's
1: right. I think it's good to just perhaps think about what the story is trying to convey and and perhaps what some of the, dangers are if we don't interpret it with a little bit of care and don't listen to some of those voices, um, both in terms of the dangers, but also I think uh, some of the feminist um, critique can, um, can also help us see some of the richness of the
0: passage as well. And what are some of those feminist um, critiques in your reading that you've come across? Well, I
1: think there's a couple um, and it's interesting uh, because, of course, uh, feminist theology comes out of the broad stream of, um, you know, a liberationist perspective mm. and actually this reading is much loved by many um, early uh, South American liberationists it was one of the key passages they would talk about in their group. So it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition. But I think there's and, – and it's – I think – We have to read carefully. I mean, the critique is around the text, but I suspect also coloured by, you know, nearly 2,000 years of interpretation Mm. and representation of Mary. I mean, one of the most painted, represented, misrepresented women, people in the biblical narrative. But I do think um, some of it is around uh, whether Mary gives consent uh, to the pregnancy. And I think that's probably a trickier thing in in Matthew, so... um, Perhaps we can you can put that. put that partly to one side. Mm. I think part of the critique of the Luke narrative comes out of a, a growing feminist feeling that Luke, on the face of it, looks like a friend to women, um, like he has a lot of stories mm. about women but they're often told in ways that pit women against each other or have women in always in the very supporting role to men and that's one of the critiques here that Luke kind of offers Mary this big role but then she has to just fall away and... Um, I mean, as does John the Baptist, in one sense too, and that that her role is all in all just leading up to Jesus, and um, and that she doesn't really get to play a full Im- embodied human uh, role in that. So I think that's one of them. Uh, there's some concern around the use of um, um, the word slave in this servant or slave of of, of God, and it, it harkens back particularly to the parallels with the. More with the magnificat than the early bit of the passage, to the Hannah reading where she uses the same word, and you know, and Hannah is cast in a very similar role, although not Mary not barren, Hannah is, but that reversal, but of the of the having a child, but that it's really just in aid of Samuel coming along, and, and Hannah just disappears very quickly from the narrative too, and you know, we get masses of Samuel and mm. the mother who knows what she did. Perhaps went away and raised dozens more children, having had one. Uh, we just don't know, um, and I think there's a bit of that—that that sense that 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 narratives like Mary's that are echoed in in some of the Old Testament narratives have that function and and are a bit um,
0: supporting role. Supporting
1: like. role, yes, yes.
0: I- if i could interject there and mention something i have on the podcast before i'm you know reflecting as i listen to you on ben Meyer's extremely pithy sort of yes a flippant summary of the bible but profoundly true that it is a book of miraculous births and that actually the blessing of god and the revelation of god comes through Miraculous births, barrenness, or you know, profound youth, and so on, repeatedly. Um, and yeah, we could say that that's a supporting role, but actually, it's it's not. Perhaps it's more that we have talked about it in those terms or treated it treated it in those terms. That in fact, there would be no story <laughs> without women. I think that's true and,
1: I mean, it's interesting, the miraculous births are all men and I think that's part oh, of the being critique. being born, yes. Being yeah, born, yeah, like it's yeah, not yeah. the miraculous birth of a woman no, that yeah, leads to yeah, the liberation of, course, of um, yeah. uh, you know, of Israel or yeah, yeah, um, so on. And, and that really reflects too the broader, the, the patriarchal society yeah, in which it was written yeah, yeah. as well. So we're wrestling with that as well and that, um, you know, what would happen if Miriam was the star of the story, not Moses. You know, she plays the supporting role as the sort of um, of surrogate. Mother, you know, rescues him and gets a song, but Moses gets to do the rest of it, you know, with a little bit of help from Aaron. (laughs) And Miriam just disappears from the story. Of course. So it's that sort of thing, I think. Um, I mean, Luke does have Mary, interestingly, again, back in the story um, at the very beginning of Acts where she's part of the group. Mm. that are praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So in Luke's mind, even if he doesn't talk about it, she's clearly engaged in the whole Jesus movement, um, including the post-resurrection movement. So that says to me she must have played a part and must have been significant enough in the early church to mention her place um, at the birth of the church. So I think for me we're wrestling with... um, how do we peel back some of the patriarchy to see um, who Mary is and what she's got to say to to contemporary to the contemporary church?
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the things I read this week, which may not surprise those who have listened to Advent 1 and 2 episodes, is Sam Wells' latest book on how to preach. And he's got a very profound sermon called um, My Body Given For You, I think, or something like that. This is my body. Um, and he talks about it being... Um, a sermon that needs to be read with a very gentle tone because, you know, uh, we all have such ambivalent takes on our own bodies. You know, the culture has made us feel inadequate, the tradition has made us fearful of our bodies or has neglected our bodies because they're just a carriage for something that's more important important and spiritual. And in this sermon he does um, address the sort of obliquely perhaps you could Mm. say, but no, he does address those readings of you know, that Mary is acted upon and that um, in her we see the violence potentially of the powerful on the vulnerable um, on their physical bodies and often it's women by men, usually mm. it's women by men. Um, and he takes account of these things but then he, um, he names them very clearly and then he, he wonders, um, you know, the way Mary appears in the New Testament is really as Israel – and that um, where Israel has broken the covenant and failed it, and here we in here particularly we see Mary taking that covenant on in her body and herself, and um, learning in his ter- in Sam Wells' terms, learning um, that her body is for oh, what's the word he uses um, a carriage of the Holy Spirit, and that it that's what her body is, and and the blessing of God in the world. And we learn that that is actually our—that's—that's that's what we're here to do too. The blessing, you know, mm-hmm. the carriage, be carriages of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, you could stop there and go, well, that's all very interesting. But the way he eloquently describes how that might be in our day-to-day interactions, in our mighty political acts, you know, somehow to me that that frees the way he deals with it. Um, as I say, takes account of these political and historical feminist critiques but leaves Mary um, central and crucial and profound in our discovery of our own discipleship here
1: mm. that um, I haven't read the sermon so um, the, but that phrase carriage of the Holy Spirit is an arresting one and mm. mirrors in a sense you know because they I mean part of the problem with Mary is the what what builds up around her you know like it's really hard just to encounter her in the in the bible narrative these days so you know that massive debate that went on in the early centuries about how to name like what her title was mm. you know and, and the orthodox fall on theotokos the the godbearer the one mm. who bears god which the carriage of the holy spirit is perhaps a more poetic way of thinking about that and um I mean, I do think for all the problems that are there in the text and they are bound to be there because of the very context in which it's being written, the notion that um, salvation enters the world through the body of a woman is a powerful one mm. um, and one that then does force us to really wrestle with, well, what does – if we don't almost deify her, but – it? but really accept that she – leave her, in a sense, in a good way as a human being, well, then what is that model for us? What does it mean to be a carriage of the Holy Spirit, a bearer of God? I think that is a pressing question. And in a way, if you've got the time, you know, in a very busy day on on this Sunday to actually read both the Annunciation and the Magnificat – you know, the Magnificat almost answers that question, or offers an, an one way of answering that question. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for Mary? How does she understand? What's her self understanding of being a carrier yeah. a carriage of the Holy Spirit?
0: Before we move more specifically on to that passage, I did want to um, mention a take for a sermon that I had in my preparation, which was um, the angel leaping out at me from the text for this year. This year, for some reason. I think we just oh, – well, I certainly just read over. Oh, well, an angel came, you know. And I decided I'll look up a dictionary of biblical imagery around angels. And it went for three solid pages and um, listed all the many Old Testament – you know, Hebrew Bible references to angels. And really I just thought, especially if you could tie it into somehow that very pithy Romans reading this week about the revelation of the mystery, mm. you know, you're not – Revela- you know, yeah, the revelation of the mystery is a funny term, but um, but that these angels are agents of God and are not cute baby things that are um, endearing that actually, as we see in the text, any time they appear, do not be afraid is the first thing people are told when an mm-hmm. angel appears. Um, and that in Revelation and in uh, Jude, oh, a couple of places, they're actually agents of Satan, you know. So there's there's real grit here. and. Um, Fleming Rutledge also talks about, in a sermon in her book on Advent, um, there's a depiction of angels carved into the door at Cologne Cathedral in Germany and the shepherds are recoiling in horror at at their appearance. Okay. So I thought if you've been through Christmas 11 times or more and um, you know, you've got a community who would respond well to this, some sort of an exegetical in sermon com- coming out of what angels are and – one little tidbit that I learnt that's really interested me was the EL in the names Gabriel and Michael, when they are named, is Hebrew for God. Mm. So, I don't know, I just, that's just do that, do with that what, what you will or not.
1: Burst the bubble of every small child dressing up as an angel in the afternoon. Well,
0: yes, yes, you might. that. Like I said, you would have to choose wisely depending on your community. Uh, if there are any dressed up angels, perhaps don't.
1: Someone did comment in relation to Mary that one of the problems we've done is that in nativity place mary is often the least voiced character yes. and people choose to be angels or shepherds because they get more action so i mean i think that's an in- like that's an interesting thing and and to actually really wrestle with the angelic present like what does the announcement of god mean in your life mm. why do they constantly need to say don't be afraid
0: mm. yeah i think that that would be a really um Poignant sermon focus. Shall we move to the Magnificat, which oh. is Luke uh, 1, 46b to 55? <music> so, Sharon, you were just saying that, yeah, this passage really does start flesh out in many ways what being a carriage of the Holy Spirit might be. Um, it's a reversal of the worldly order of dominance and violence and superiority and success Um, and that Mary agrees to take this on. Mm.
1: And I think, I mean, before we get to the kind of content that she offers for the reversal, I think even her being the Theotokos is a reversal. So, Mm. you know, she's a woman, like, of no substance in the scheme of the Empire of Rome. She's... You know, in a small village, in one of the poorer parts of the empire, you know, living life. She's fourteen or fifteen. Yes, which is, I think, I suspect, like a common age. Like you know, I think when my children are fourteen, goodness me.
0: Yeah, I have a fourteen-year-old daughter, so
1: <laughs> I wouldn't. So I'm sure they were. You know, it was a different in that sense. But she, she, her very the choosing of her is a sign almost of this mm, reversal.
0: Absolutely. And yeah.
1: uh, there are some – there there was a sort of rumour around Mary for quite a while that she actually was bearing an illegitimate child. Um, and some of the feminist scholars say in some ways that actually points to a reversal as well. Like if the spirit can work through a a, a, a woman in a small town – who is bearing a child outside the bounds of normal convention, Whether by however she comes to be Mm. having a child outside Mm. the bounds of normal convention, that's a reversal in itself. Mm. Her story is the story of the Magnificat in some ways and I I think in a way that gives her back some agency in the story too. So it's not just that she gets to sing this song of what God is doing almost abstractly, I mean, powerful for the people affected by the reversal, but that her body much her as, life
0: Well, much as Christ's yes is incarnated. Yeah, in is the, the
1: sort of enfleshment of or the uh, the first witness to the reversal that she goes on to sing about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's put in my mind at the risk of sounding a bit making all these different connections, but The second Samuel reading um, about Nathan coming to David and, you know, um, David's deciding that the Lord needs his own house Mm. because David's got his house. And This misunderstanding um, that we know what's good for God and that we've got all this agency here and in that passage, um, I think Fleming Rutledge points out that actually there's half the verses, God is the actor Mm. and, you know, David might be a great king and so on, but... he has no bearing on the future. He's a, He cannot do anything about the future. Uh-huh. Only God can do that. But not only that about that passage, but also that David's life is in disarray. I mean, his family is imploding. His son tri- died trying to kill him. Um, David himself dies, of, you know, or is, is weak as anything at the end and, and can't even keep himself warm and so on. Um, and the point being that... Um, we can do naught without God, mm-hmm. and that the you know that's that's a total reversal in our own minds. We think we can control a whole lot everything, which oh. is just rubbish, yes, you know um so there's something about advent, the focus in advent not being on us, the pressure to 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 wait and prepare important, but actually, why don't really let's spend the time thinking about how it's not about us doing all that mm mm-hmm. It's about God acting in our lives and being open to that mm. and being a carriage. Yes. It is hard in this world now. Like there's wars everywhere. There's profound suffering. It really is. Mm. I mean it's, it's ever thus. At one level it is ever thus. We are dreadful to each other, guaranteedly. Um, what is it to preach this hope? It does feel, uh, uh, for me
1: at least this year, this this feels incredibly poignant. Um, You know, I mean, where a war is at one level shouldn't matter, but there is something about, you know, the very land in which this song is sung being blown up Mm. on our television screens that, that, you know, alongside all the things we don't notice, all the famine and war we don't
0: notice and the Ukraine that still goes yes on. the
1: Ukraine you know I think of um, people in West Papua that I've heard you know who, whom I've met and heard of you know in their quest for independence all those places Um, and I, I was listening to a couple of weeks ago to a, a segment on um, Radio National called The Year That Made Me and there was a um, Northern Irish Methodist minister called Gary somebody I Look, we'll up, look it up. Look his name up. Put it in the show notes. Yeah, but he's been involved in the peace process uh, for the twenty-five years it's been going, and before that, he his when he was in pastoral ministry, all his congregations were very close to the lines that divide Catholic and Protestant. Um, and since then, he's developed a leadership institute to train young Northern Irish people in what, the ways of peace, and now does that with Palestinians and Israelis together with northern irish so trying to mm-hmm. talk to each other and he told a story about a young palestinian at a training session he was doing and a young palestinian woman coming and um and saying to him oh you know this is basically rubbish you can like our conflict is so intractable there's nothing you can teach me and he said to her can you just six weeks i just want you to see what happens he said and if at the end of it you come and say to me maybe just maybe i'll be happy and he said, at the end of the six weeks, she came and put her arms around him and said, Maybe, just maybe. Mm. And he said, I'm about the oxygen of hope. And I, I don't know, I've, I've, it's stayed with me since I've heard that. And mm. I just, I feel like we're at a point where the Magnificat is less a full throttled cry this year and more a kind of maybe, just maybe. Mm. If we trust God, if we're willing, like Mary, to give our bodies to the hope of God, the oxygen of hope might survive in the world. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, feels audacious at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very profound phrase, isn't it? Mm. Um, and thinking about uh, Mary facing this, you know, uh, fearful, she's told not to be afraid, but there's something about her, Embodying paradoxically a fearless fear, um, mm. which is, I think, also does capture that what, 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 what that man Gary mm. and, and the Palestinian woman are getting at that that's what we're called into, mm. that it's not easy, it is terrifying in different degrees, in different parts of the world or parts of our lives.
1: And that we need practices that help us breathe the oxygen of hope rather than the oxygen of despair. Mm. Like actually, I mean, it's not all choice but part of it is, do we open ourselves to this song? Do we? Yeah.
0: And I mean, the word humility we use a lot in Christian conversation. Oh, well. Mm. What? What does that look like? What is, what is humility in the face of this violence? Um, well, I mean, far be it from us to say what that mm. is in the midst of the Holy Land now. Mm. Um,
1: I mean, Palestinian Christians are saying, please don't forget about us and that that would be something for them and maybe that's a way we breathe the oxygen, the oxygen of hope, hope and say maybe just maybe we, we pray with you, we hear your cry I mean, once you do that, you then have to become an advocate, you know, for Mm. them as well. But, you know, for them, part of what will make them maybe possible is that we don't forget them and that maybe that's part of it. The reversal is simply in the face of a war machine and a propaganda machine that tries to make us forget them. We remember them, Mm. this this advent. We remember all the the ones who are looking for this kind of reversal, who... Who long for this reversal? Mm-hmm.
0: Remembering is actually core to the faith so much. If you if you notice that phrase and many passages through the lectionary year, it's about remember God did this. Remember, this is the God of who released you from you know slavery in Egypt. This is remember, remember, remember. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, yeah, and um, one of the other things I read was about a group of
1: um, Latin Americans. It, it as I said to you earlier, this passage is quite core to the early liberation movement and lots of them would sit around in 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 South America in the 80s and 90s when that movement was getting going and they would read this and they would say we see we feel seen in mm. this passage this is what we are working for this is what we are longing for and I, I, I do think it We're so comfortable that it's hard sometimes to hear the reversals. Like the reversals are actually for us quite challenging. Yes,
0: well, we're on the wrong side of it. Yes,
1: we have to enter into it in a different way and ask ourselves, well, if we do want to breathe the oxygen of hope, what might we need to give up?
0: Well, and that's the humility thing Mm. I was getting at. Yeah. What do we have to give up? Yeah. I think we're coming towards the close of our conversation time. Sharon, are there any final um, thoughts that you have about this week and people leading worship. I think you if want... you're
1: one of the brave people that's chosen to mark Advent for, I hope that people do mark it as a discreet yeah. kind of Sunday. I mean, I know there's a lot of pressure and uh, no shade on people that don't, but um, there's a lot in this and, and it deserves some attention and that's the risk of, I mean, it's a blessing when we don't have to trot out for another day in the very busy Easter, mm. uh, very busy Christmas season, but... Um, Mary does deserve attention, full attention full yeah, attention. and and yeah. that um and deserves her full humanity. And I think that's one been one of the blessings of the twentieth century rediscovery of Mary is that we're attending to much less to the myth around her and much more to her humanity. And I think that's yeah. where I try and put my attention yeah. and
0: her voice and her mm. central role. Mm. Thank you, Sharon.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological
1: College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson.
0: Thanks for listening.